All right. I like how Colin is still in the fucking group chat. Like, dude, if you're taking a night off, go <laughs> take a alone. night off. But right. no, he just doesn't want to actually sit still and talk. Pleb. Why buy a comic that would cost more than a dime? Come meet the brothers who are here to waste your time. Welcome to the Dime Comic Bros podcast. Uh, there are two of us this week. We are missing Colin, sadly. No retard energy this week. It's going to no. be chill. It's going to be like when you walk into a smoke lounge and there's just a cloud of smoke from the ceiling down to about eye level and everybody's just sitting in low, you know, comfy leather chairs that swallow you whole, almost like a waterbed, just smoking, puffing on cigars and sipping at really expensive whiskey that's how tonight's episode is gonna go so welcome to the dime comic bros podcast uh we are just two usually three dudes sitting around a microphone uh just yelling about the comics that we've been reading or pretty much anything nerdy sometimes we talk about uh video games or uh adult coloring books with superheroes in them i don't know or do the crazy thing and talk about star wars yeah so wherever the night takes us that's where we go uh so what is up on the docket for today uh so we don't have a main topic we're just gonna be Spending some time getting caught up. There's a decent bit of news. Um, We hadn't talked last week, uh, if anybody has listened to the episode already. Um, We didn't have a section for what what we've been up to or any news. It was a special episode. So we have a little bit extra stuff to get caught up on. Um, Do we want to just jump in with the news? Well, I want to start by saying, uh, because Colin isn't here, that all right, so for the fans, usually when we're recording, we're drinking ginger beer because uh, two of the three uh, teammates on this crew are not allowed to drink alcohol yet, real beer. So I am trying a new ginger beer tonight. It's made by Powell and Mahoney, and it's a blood orange ginger beer. So Colin, you can suck it because this is some seriously good ginger beer. On to the news. It does sound like it. I actually know a, uh, a, a YouTuber who has a different beer every time he does a video and just goes over. It's really interesting. Nice. It's not relevant. He does gaming news, but it's just a thing he does. Um, I plan to be talking about some gaming tonight, so we will same. get there later. Alrighty. So um, we do have a piece of sad news um, just to get out of the way. Um, Sean Connery, uh, who is most famous for portraying James Bond, uh, passed away at the age of 90 a few days ago. We've been losing a lot of good people lately. One of uh, my acting heroes, definitely. So very sad news. Yeah. Um, Moving on. Um, so Oscar Isaac uh, is in talks to portray Moon Knight in the MCU. Um, this has not been confirmed. There's been a lot of people escalating it to an official casting. He is in negotiations, which means it's very likely, but it's not official yet. So maybe don't claim it as hard fact. So what else has he been in? Just so uh, the audience has something to yell at us about. Like, you didn't mention whatever 
So uh, Oscar Isaac is most well known for being Poe Dameron in the uh, recent Star Wars sequel trilogy. Ah, uh, okay. My favorite role of his uh, was in Ex Machina. He portrayed a scientist. That's he right. The also, alcoholic scientist. That was a really good movie. I uh, really enjoyed Ex Machina. Yeah, I've seen he's it also twice. In, I own it on 4K. Um, he was Ooh, also, a bit 4K. Yeah, I know, right? Um, he's also in Triple Frontier, which is a Netflix crime thriller action movie. Um, he is going to be in the upcoming Dune adaptation. Um, he's done which some I'm voice- very excited for. That should Damn. have been out by now, but yeah, very, very excited. COVID monster freaked up everything. Yep. Uh, he was also in Annihilation, the 2018 sci-fi movie. Um, he was in X-Men Apocalypse as Apocalypse. Sadly, that was a bit of a rough movie. Uh, I think I got an maybe an hour into that one. Yeah, maybe. Uh, he was also in the 2010 uh, Robin Hood film with Russell Crowe and the 2011 film Drive, which is one of my favorites. Is uh, that the one with Nicolas Cage? No, that is the one with Ryan Gosling. Ah. Um, yeah, so I think this is a pretty good um, pick. I really do like Oscar Isaac. He has a different type of charisma than a lot of leading men at this point, but it's not super out of left field. He still brings a lot of confidence and swagger, but he has a little bit more, more meat behind his eyes. I don't know. It's just something about That's him. A always very weird description. <laughs> there's always, there's usually another layer to whatever is whatever he's doing. And I think that would work extremely well for this character. Whenever I try to cast a character, I check for me behind his eyes. And uh, whoever you said this is definitely has me behind his eyes. Moving on. <laughs> um, so we have an article from thehollywoodreporter.com. Quote, Actually, wait, oh. that's a good idea. Who else do you think would have made a good moon night. Shia LaBeouf. I was going to say that one. You dumb. <laughs> that's right. been a kind of common fan casting, but I, I genuinely think that that would be a solid idea. I it's, don't think Disney has the gall I to do it. I think it's a though. bad idea, though. Really? Because he's mentally unstable anyway. So if he plays. That's why it's perfect. Of a mentally unstable guy, he'll just start killing people or something. I don't know. Maybe he'll kill cats. Which wouldn't what do be you mean? Thing. Start being like Jared Leto on the set of Suicide Squad and sending used condoms and rats to people because he's quote unquote method acting. That's different, though. I think Shia would actually break. Maybe. Who knows? Um, have an article from thehollywoodreporter.com. Quote, Netflix and Ubisoft are teaming to bring Assassin's Creed to television and will develop a slate of properties based on the best selling game series. The first project under the pact is a live-action, genre-bending adaptation of the game. A search is underway for a showrunner for the project, which is currently in the development stages. The deal for Assassin's Creed will also see Netflix and Ubisoft mine the game's trove of stories for other live-action, animated, and anime series based on the global franchise, end quote. I want to know, just cutting right to the meat here, I want to know what they mean by genre-bending adaptation. Uh, well, I mean, that it has at me a first, little nervous. 
that actually makes me more confident in it because um, something that the franchise is forgetting by the day is it is actually a sci-fi series. It's sci-fi fantasy and also period piece fantasy. There right. are two dis- supposed to be two distinct timelines running sequentially. Um, because of the animus. Right. The whole framework of the franchise is based off of technology um, and even when you go back in history, the the ones that came before the Isu, where all the magical technology comes from, um, that's sci-fi to our understanding, even right. though it's in history in historical context. So that gives me confidence. I'm I've always wanted to have series of uh, game adaptations. The series usually end up working out better for whatever reason, whether it be time or production or whatever. But also the movie was a little rough, to say the least. And that's coming from a diehard fanboy, so... I haven't seen it, so explain to me what was good and bad about Ask Creed, the movie. Absolutely phenomenal casting. Absolutely gorgeous, 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 like, set design. Uh, physically speaking, like, the stunt work, choreography, set design, the performances, for the most part, and, like, the casting was off the charts amazing, but the editing it was was trash for the the editing Ooh. and the the so like at least something salvageable is the choreography and the action was really 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 good a lot of practical work but it was chopped up to bits it's really clear that they did do a lot of the real work you can go look at like behind the scenes stuff they did the work it was directed really well but in the editing right. room it got ripped up and then the script itself was bad <laughs> like foundationally speaking it misunderstands a couple of core concepts of how assassin's creed works and because it's in canon it's not an adaptation it is a canonical entry into the universe it threw a bunch of monkey wrenches into the mix because that's kind of assassin's creed's biggest problem since 2012 ish was when one of the original um lead game designers left and it started becoming more transmedia and they like were dropping Mm -hmm. protagonists and changing people and settings every game and the modern day storyline fell apart and all that sort of stuff was the movie was a really really big part of that um and also has a pretty bad blue filter over all the modern day sections like matrix levels but it's not it doesn't make sense yeah instead of matrix green being like like being clear you can tell when you're in the matrix versus the real world it's looks like an instagram blue filter because it looks edgy like if you take that away it already looks phenomenal i would recommend giving it a watch like i find a lot of enjoyment out of just putting it on the background because the the stunt work is really good the costumes are absolutely bloody gorgeous the setting is really cool yeah mini tirade so you Um, can't even make a fan cut of it because of the filters and you can i mean you can kind of edit that like you could you could re-chop it and make it more fluid i would assume but because it's it's a poor script i guess yeah like you could probably right like a bad script can be tightened up in editing but the a lot of the foundational concepts, like how the animus works in the movie, doesn't really make sense. And it's never explained properly. Like stuff like that, where you can 
cut out parts of it, but you can't remove all of it. That and the major antagonist, the major human antagonist um, of the franchise dies in the movie. You know, stuff like that. That's just, you can't really avoid. It's just, it was obviously written by somebody at Ubisoft who wasn't super familiar with the franchise and it was never vetoed because Assassin's Creed doesn't have a lore keeper or like a committee of people. Like even Star Wars has that. And there have been some issues with that with Star Wars. Just check the wiki. Like like genuinely, (laughs) there's a big uprising in the, the fan community of there are fans who will do this. There are people that the fans run all the wiki sites. They literally know this stuff better than the writers do for the most part, with exceptions to like Darby McDevitt and people like that. So quite literally just employ a couple of the hardcores to do basically just do what they're doing and then talk to them before you start finishing like script ideas and pushing games into development, at least for the sake of lore continuity. Right. But I'm interested to see where this goes. Yeah. I mean, I, I understand, um, back to the genre bending adaptation i understand that it's like sci-fi and historical like time traveling or jumping or whatever um but i i don't think that really deserves the the title of genre bending because it has time jumping and kind of sci-fi stuff like fair i don't know i'm it just it uh, seems too far or it's just hype probably hype it's kind of like calling star wars genre defining like it can be like rogue one is a lot closer to a war movie solo is yep. a heist movie like there are things like that but star wars is still sci-fi fantasy some of them are more fantasy, some of them are more sci-fi, but it's a separate genre of which Episode Assassin's Creed two is a failed romance. Also failed noir movie. Like what? Yeah, the all the Obi-Wan stuff is a noir movie. One hundred percent. It's a detective story. It's just right. bad. Yeah. Yeah, but like there are always elements of that, and it it would be like calling all of Star Wars genre defining because it's sci-fi fantasy. Assassin's Creed basically is sci-fi fantasy if you want to boil it down. So yep. it really depends on how you look at where the lines are. Yeah. I mean, it's made by Netflix and they've made some good and some <clears throat> kind of shows. So yeah, we'll see where this goes. Definitely shall see. Uh, definitely in the early stages because they don't even have a showrunner yet. Sounds like they just made a, a, a deal with Ubisoft and they're just throwing it out there to hopefully make people happy right uh michael giacchino will be returning to compose for the third mcu spider-man film kind of expected uh not really a huge deal uh explain to the noobs uh who that is sure um Michael Giacchino is one of, I don't want to say up and rising because he's not, he's been in the industry for a while. He did a lot of composing for early Pixar films like The Incredibles, which has a phenomenal musical score. Um, He also did the um, modern Star Trek trilogy 
I don't want to call it the J.J. Abrams trilogy because that's not quite what it is, but the the Kelvin timeline <laughs> the trilogy Kelvin timeline. to get nerdy and specific. Yes, uh, he composed for all three of those. He also did Doctor Strange, um, and then the two Spider-Man films. So he has a he's he has a more established relationship with the MCU, which is rare because they have a bad habit of getting rid of their composers and re just rewriting scores all the time. So that I will take as a sign of improvement. I really, mm-hmm. really like his work on the first two. I think, and it's... so has most of the audience, as far as I understand. Yeah, a lot of people like those Spider-Man movies. Yeah, and I think the the music does a very good job of helping with the more whimsical parts of it, of of giving you a bit of a high school feel to it. I mm-hmm. hope that gets a little bit matured in this movie as we're kind of all hoping the the tone and story does as well one would assume the music would do it especially coming from such an incredible film composer who also did the score for rogue one a star wars story in like six weeks dang yeah the original composer was uh let go or they had a a disagreement so he came in during the editing process wrote the entire thing which genuinely i i find to be on par with and kind of better than some of john williams work very opinion but the amount of east like musical easter eggs he was able to do it to work into it and rearranging themes in ways you never would have thought and you don't realize until somebody points it out to you on a sheet of paper how it operates musical is amazing easter eggs like when uh man what's his name Mick Gordon hid pentagrams and 666 like filtered through the Doom soundtrack, things like that. More like the fact that a lot of the major tracks in Doom 2016 are very, very stylized versions of the original tracks, but you don't know it until you look at them side by side. Like um, spectrograph or spectrogram for right, any like, scientific listeners. For, like um, blood. Excuse and, me for not knowing. <laughs> like rip and tear and uh, blood, uh, dust and guts. Like those tracks are actually um, expansions on the original music from the first two games. But right. you, there's so many. It, the instrumentation is entirely different and everything. So it's only noticeable if you look at it on paper or if someone points it out like um Jin Erso's theme and kind of the the hope theme for the movie is actually a modified version of a couple of um I believe flutes that you can kind of hear in A New Hope that were kind of meant to be Obi-Wan's theme it's a whole it there's a really good video by a YouTuber called Sideways who went into it phenomenal work uh, that's how I realized how much more went into that score than I thought um Reed did a lot of reworking of the imperial march and parts of it so it wasn't just putting the imperial march on loop but the whole movie felt like the imperial march at the same time stuff like that he's very crafty so it's good news we love our craftiness in our entertainment dude i could go for some craft mac and cheese right now (laughs) that's a rarity but i could go for it that means you've been doing too much pot you got the munchies no i'm just fat (laughs) um moving on uh ray fisher came out and confirmed that every scene he took part in in the theatrical cut of justice league oh yeah 
was reshot except for the scene on the GCPD rooftop. That's a lot of stuff. Did you know this or did did the the cult underground know or have a feeling like what is and what is feeling yeah Snyder. like i couldn't i when i go through the movie inevitably for the podcast when we all go through it as a main topic uh, no. i'm gonna i'm gonna keep a tally count of every time it switches between the two because as we've gone over and it's been established it's like 10 or 15 percent snyder footage max uh, that's a lot of cyborg stuff to get reshot. And that would explain another reason why the CGI looks like garbage for cyborg. I really like the design, but the CGI looks horrible because it's it was all done in like six months. I was going to say because all the CGI looks horrible. Pretty much. Um, yeah, so that's rough. <laughs> also, on that note, um, this one's a bit of a mouthful. Forbes recently published an expose written by Shiraz Faruqi interviewing Ray Fisher about multiple and specific accusations of misconduct, including racially motivated misconduct before, during, and after the Justice League reshoots leveled at Jeff Johns, Joss Whedon, John Berg, Toby Emmerich, and Walter Hamada, all to varying degrees. A new and objective third-party investigator has been assigned to the investigation, one who also has prior experience investigating Warner Media's higher-ups. Shiraz Faruqi, the interviewer and writer of the expose, was quietly removed from his collaborative position with Forbes, and his article was modified 24 hours after its original publishing to remove the most gross of the accusations leveled at Joss Whedon. Bit of a mouthful. Um, That is the most condensed version I could make that expose. It's huge. It's a massive interview, and it's exceptionally well written, Um, but... I was told I couldn't spend 30 minutes just reading it verbatim. So that's the condensed version. Um, so in a simple sentence, what is your takeaway? Um, might be more than an a sentence. It might be like two sentences. Fine. But right near the end of the article, um, Ray said something towards the people who don't believe him or believe that this is possible. You know, what's more likely that I, a new actor, would torpedo my career entirely, spend all of my time talking about like legal drama and garbage and make every studio not want to work with me, or that a bunch of rich white dudes are going to be really crappy behind the scenes during a like media merger of giant corporations to try to keep their jobs? What's the more likely of the scenarios? That's my takeaway. I agree with that sentiment. Definitely think the more interesting part is the fallout of that with all of this firing and article manipulation that's happening after that. It's a really big developing situation, probably by the minute. So that's fun. (laughs) This was And I'm sure you'll keep up on it and report back next week like you always do. Yes, ma'am. I have an article from comicbook.com, quote, over the past couple of years, Donnie Cates has become one of the most popular writers over at Marvel Comics, helming titles such as Venom, Thanos, Guardians of the Galaxy, and Thor. In a year of uncertainty and hardship, Cates wanted to bring a little extra joy to the lives of comic readers, so he surprise released a brand new creator-owned series online. On Wednesday morning with no prior announcement, Cates debuted The One You Feed digitally through publisher Panel Syndicate. The first issue is available right now, and you can pay as much or as little as you want to download it. Kate's put The One You Feed together alongside 
uh, artist Dylan Burnett with colors by Dean White and letters and design by John J. Hill. The One You Feed is set in a future where the entire population is transformed into a demon after nightfall, either good wolves and bad wolves reflecting on each person's inner self. It tells the story of the city of Helios, a city with an artificial sun built by the ruler Solomon to keep the monsters at bay, and of Apollo, Solomon's son, who has to venture outside the city and survive the night alone if he is willing to take the throne promised to him. Of course, everything isn't as it appears, and Apollo's quest might not be as straightforward as he believes, end quote. That's a big mouthful. Uh, <laughs> You're all about the mouthfuls tonight. No comment. Um, <laughs> So I'm going to make, I was going to make an obligatory new mutants reference because of the two inner wolves, but I decided not to um, because I couldn't find a way for it to be funny. <laughs> it's a little bit of a worn trope, but um, apparently this is somewhat of a sequel to God country, which makes me extremely interested. Interesting. Yeah. He said um, in a separate interview that it's linked in some facets like physically speaking, it's not just a spiritual successor. It, it is linked, um, but you'll have to look into it. He also has another similar project coming, uh, which is potentially linked as well. Mm -hmm. This piques my interest. Also, it's basically free. It's on my agenda to get to this week. Cool. Uh, I don't really have anything to add right now. But I'm I was going to say, haven't you been reading a little bit of a John? Okay. Uh, but yeah, he is one of the better comic book writers that I have read this year. He's so bloody metal. It's great. It's so good, dude. Um, and one more thing. Uh, we Ooh. have an article from Variety.com. Quote, Johnny Depp will no longer portray the dark wizard Gellert Grindelwald in the Fantastic Beasts film franchise the actor announced Friday. I wish to let you know that I have been asked to resign by Warner Bros. for my role as Grindelwald in Fantastic Beasts, and I have respected and agreed to that request, he wrote Friday on Instagram. Depp's exit from the Harry Potter series comes days after he lost his libel lawsuit case against the tabloid The Sun over a 2018 article alleging he was a wife beater. Depp confirmed that he has plans to appeal the ruling. Johnny Depp will depart the Fantastic Beasts franchise. We thank Johnny for his work on the films to date, the studio said. Fantastic Beasts 3 is currently in production, and the role of Gellert Grindelwald will be recast. The film will debut in theaters worldwide in the summer of 2022. Yeah, this is horrible. Uh, it, this, so this happened earlier today. Um, today is Friday. Just so people are aware <laughs> um yeah he just came out on instagram had a little post is like yeah they asked me to step away because he lost the libel lawsuit case like in a court of law they're still in processing but it's been pretty well definitively proven he was being abused in that relationship very mm -hmm. clearly and I could kind of understand them asking him to step away if they didn't want to deal with the drama of like it's... the, the libel lawsuit. I could get that, but they're not holding Amber Heard to a remotely similar standard at all. She still is currently working on Aquaman too. WB needs to get their shit together. This is really bad. Um, on a kind of positive note, out of all of that, the movie got delayed like six months, which could be potentially good. 
Um, but also the character of, of Geller Grindelwald was throughout most of the first movie being played by Colin Farrell because Grindelwald was in disguise. Mm-hmm. Um, and most people actually thought that he did a better job than Johnny Depp did later. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't, I actually don't know where I stand on that, but potentially you could just say he went like, there's some sort of issue and he had to revert back to looking like that. There's, there are ways in magical lore to do it. I'm not going to go in depth on it. Um, That's good because I haven't seen a single Harry Potter movie or spinoff. I genuinely think if you're going to start anywhere, watching Fantastic Beasts is a very good place to do it. Really? I am more surprised. Out of the entire franchise, it's my favorite movie. Wow. Because it's very well standalone. It's its quality is entirely of its own. The story is very different. I love Newt Scamander as an as a protagonist. He's very different in a very positive way. Um scale is different. Like the whole it, it's really good. Would really recommend you do that before watching the films because I know you've been reading the books. Are you done with those yet? No, I have three more, I believe. Yeah. Like what is it? The Order of phoenix next let me google that before the fans email in even though it takes a week to publish this yeah um yeah because like half the movies i really like and another half i strongly dislike just the process of adaptation is really messy and the inconsistency is more what drives me crazy but I, I really, really like Fantastic Beasts. I have a very strong emotional attachment to that movie. I was right. Good job. So yeah, I listened through Sorcerer's Stone, Chamber of Secrets, Prisoner of Azkaban, and Goblet of Fire. I'm pretty sure I haven't listened to Order of Phoenix. Order of the Phoenix is a little bit of a rough book, like lengthwise. Best movie, I think, out of the actual series of adaptations. But it's a, it's a book. I, I'm extremely partial to the Half-Blood Prince book. That is easily my favorite. I might have actually listened to this one, too. What happens? Yeah, I did listen to this one. All right, so I only have two more. Nice. I have uh, Half-Blood Prince next. You should get on that. That's a very good book. Very, very good. All right, so... Uh, that is the end of the news. I'm- want to say that it was something else that Johnny Depp was asked to step away from too. I've seen it in the headlines, but I'm not oh, remembering it um, right now. Oh, Pirates. There you go. Yeah. Which the franchise hasn't seemed to really be moving forward in a meaningful no. direction anyway. And even before this, there were there were lots of rumors that he wouldn't come back, that Orlando Bloom wouldn't come back. So yeah, there you can nobody tell, really knows about that. One. Right, you can tell in uh, four and five, particularly just because they're bad movies, like on a script level. But you very much so can tell in five um, retroactively. Yeah, Johnny Depp was in the middle of some stuff. It wasn't him entirely just trying to collect a paycheck on a bad movie. Like, it's pretty clear he was dealing with things nowadays. When you and I watched it at the time, it's like, oh, he's just mailing it in. But with greater context of what was going on at the time, it's pretty understandable he was a bit off kilter. I completely forgot that there was a number five. Uh-huh. I... We actually watched <laughs> it together. I yeah, I know. I remember that. Um, but I only remember it now. Yeah. <laughs> So that's the end of the news. Um, so shall we jump into what we've been reading? Mm, yes, I think we shall. 
Yeah, I think uh, you should start. All right, let's get the ugly one out of the way. I started reading Infinity Crisis, Ooh. and I read the first issue and had no idea what the was going on. It was just ugh, so messy. There were people I didn't understand with very major roles, and I still don't understand because I haven't bothered going back. Uh, Superman and Wonder Woman were being bitchy at each other, and I don't understand why. There was something obviously going on there. Like, the world was ending, and they were like, you know, the world was ending before, but now it's getting worse. And I was like, what you talking about? Yeah. Like, it was so messy. I I tried going back later this week and just couldn't. I just didn't care um, after the first issue. So my plan is uh, I have the DC freaking comics audio version of it. I'm hoping to listen to that and really hoping that they add a lot more detail to what's going on because they mm. read it kind of like a novel. Right. Uh, there's a lot more uh, explanation. I keep forgetting uh, that those things exist in it. And so I'm really hoping that helps and I might come back to reading it, but I definitely plan on listening and yeah. see how that goes. Infinite crisis was really rough. Final crisis is stupid, confusing, but once you understand it, it's really, really, really freaking cool. See, I started that one this week too. I wasn't going to talk about it. Uh, I read the first issue and I was enjoying it so far. Like it's setting itself up. I'm not confused about what's going on right now. Yeah. So it's completely different in theme and I like it, but that's all I'm going to say about it because I don't know what the freak's going on. Nice. Um, So I read Iron Fist, The Living Weapon, which is a 12-issue miniseries published in 2014 and 2015 by Care Andrews, I think is how you pronounce their first name. Um, Spell it. K-A-A-R-E. Sounds legit to me. Could be Ka'ar. Maybe. I don't know. It sounds like Klingon. Um, but you would think that there's an apostrophe between the two A's if that was the case. So Right. Now I'm thinking about the Shi'ar Empire. Anyways, <laughs> um, so this was a this is one of the more modern um, Iron Fist miniseries. As we know, it's Marvel, so basically everything is in continuity. Um, so it partially goes over some of the origin stuff, but it's a lot more transformative. It takes a lot of previously established information and then changes how you think about it but it's still a very well-contained miniseries. Um, the art, I can definitely understand if people don't like it. I think it's excellent. It has just enough flair and flashiness to the actual Kung Fu while being really, really grotesque quite often um, in terms of the antagonist and a lot of the stuff going on, like just general human nature, it displays in not excessive amounts of detail. There's still plenty of shadow, like lots of backlighting, but it's kind of gross, but just enough. I think Um, the coloring is really, really bold. It's not like excessive or like Neapolitan or whatever. It's not crazy, Um, but it is very simple in that sense. It has a couple of colors on a page and it's very strong because it's offset by there being so much ink. So back to it being grotesque and gross, does that mean that a lot 
it it's violent that a lot of people get the shit beat out of them or yes. what? Yeah, um, the primary antagonist has a lot of body horror elements to it. Um, I was going to get to story last, but it's a very dark book. Um, Iron Fist is an v- interesting character in the comics because the tone can go either way. It can be really, really bloody dark, or it can be absolute chuckle fest. Um, and I think there were a fair few good laughs, particularly towards the end of this book, but it is very dark. It delves into the nature of of destiny and choice and like the sense of not feeling control over your own life and having decisions made for you for all of the different characters and how that relates to stuff in their past as well mm-hmm. as the actual plot going on like yeah just the internal struggle of Danny Rand of uh, one of the the lines said in the book towards the beginning is uh, about being a warrior like you need to be a wall on the outside so you can keep your heart soft and it delves really deep into that and i think it does a very good job but there were a couple of times i got mildly queasy it might just be because this type of body horror freaks me out more than a lot of other things might just be me um it's not a horror book by any means it's not excessively bloody i don't think but there's a lot of broken bones a lot of twisted joints there's some cybernetic stuff going on and I'm going to leave it there. Um, and this is one of those symbiotic books I keep talking about. Nice. That is written and um, illustrated by the same person. And you can feel it. As I usually say, maybe the art could be a little better to keep up to snuff, but I the amount of synergy is excellent. There's no miscommunication of what's going on. Um. One of the, probably the best Iron Fist book I have read would recommend this as a starting point, honestly. Um, There's a few things you might not understand easily, but for the most part, it goes over um, a lot of the really relevant stuff. As I said, it is a mini series. It is self-contained. So it sets up all the stuff you need to know and it goes over some origin things while delving more deeply into the, the philosophy behind the character more so than the action. Cool. What else have you been up to? Uh, oh, let me check my notes because I have a full page. This is the fullest page I have ever written of notes. So nice. be pleased, audience. I'll give you pleasure. Uh, let's see. I read Spawn, the first collection. Uh, I believe that it's called Volume One. Uh, it was written in May of 1992 uh, by Todd McFarlane. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Uh, so it was issues one through six of Spawn. Um, so the character starts out with amnesia uh, as Spawn, and he's like, "What just happened? What's going on? Where am I? Who am I?" <laughs> things like that uh turns out he made a deal with the devil uh he sold his soul so that he could see his wife again just to see his wife again um so he comes back from the in-between or whatever you want to call it uh with limited memories that are slowly coming back to him as you read further along in the story it's kind of uh convenient 
the 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 memory reclamation is convenient. Oh yeah. So for the plot. Yes. Always. Um, is. But it's also interesting because it literally. All right, not literally. It really pisses Spawn off when he's like he can't remember. He, he he's a very angry character. Yeah. Um, and he is like swearing that he'll get revenge on the devil, uh, partly because of the memory issue, but also he finally sees his wife and sees that she's really happy where she is spoilers for like issue Oof. two or three uh she's remarried and has a kid which Yikes. they were both trying to have and it wasn't working out so he's like from then on like it's it's an inner monologue of him battling with himself like should i talk to her should i explain who i am I think at one point he did talk to her, but didn't say anything. He was like, ah, oh, cute kid. And it was nice seeing you again. And she's like, what? And she's like, oh, it was nice meeting you. Um, but I see, he's... I pulled a sneaky. <laughs> but he's trying to figure out, like, she's happy. Should I involve her in my misery, basically? But that's why I made the deal with the devil to come back is to see her again. So it's painful, to say the least. It's very uh, uh, relatable for most humans, I guess. You can understand the emotional pull of the story. Uh, the artwork is amazing. Uh, it's also uh, grotesque, as you were describing. Um, the villains especially are, are, are very grotesque, very bony, very... Kind of like Dead Space, I mm. guess. Like mm. the monsters in Dead Space, they're nice. just weird meat conglomerate <laughs> conglomerations. <laughs> uh, not rough. Not just like humans thrown through a blunder, but it's like, yeah, you know, uh, somebody designed this, but it doesn't make sense. Spawn is icky. Gotcha. Limbs upon limbs, and and what about hands on hands on hands on hands on hands? Yeah. Nice. So it's gross, but it's really, really good. Uh, it makes the villains look villainy. Nice. Uh, I've been meaning to get to actually reading Spawn. I have some basic awareness, and I watched the uh, movie adaptation. Yep. That's about it. I've seen some really cool toys from McFarlane Toys, surprisingly enough. Right. Um, I haven't made it all the way through the movie. I've tried a couple of times before I was invested in Spawn. Now I'm invested. Right. It's not horrible, <laughs> but... You had mentioned that there is a um, animated series from yes. the '90s that looks to be an HBO exclusive, which is weird because it oh, came yeah. out in like '96 or something. That's whack. Like the quality, it might have just been recently remastered, but it the the visual quality of that looked really really clean. Mm. So it makes me interested. I have yet to get to that. That is on my agenda, but I feel like I should mention that because I just brought up the movie. Well, you just took away one thing that I was watching, so... Darn. Uh, well, we'll get there. <laughs> I'll, I'll go back to it later. Um, I also want to specifically call out that, while talking about the artwork, that the cape is epic. It's not realistic, but it is so... 
majestic. Majestic. Wow. The adjective that I have written down here. It's just billowing all the time and it swoops up from his neck, like past his head, kind of like horns, I guess. Like Hellboy horns, if you want to picture it. It's just that little swoopiness of it, but it's a high collar. Oh, it, it's so dramatic. It, it's very, it is so very good. 90s. <laughs> um, speaking of very 90s, though, it kind of suffers from the typical 90s, like pouches on pouches design. Pouches on pouches, small feet, big shoulders. Yeah, we're talking about you, Rob Liefeld. <laughs> Cable, Deadpool. Um, yes. Superman uh, with guns, because that was a thing. What? Yeah, look it up. Okay. Uh but he's still a badass. Oh, there's also uh chains on chains on chains. Uh I do like chains. But yeah, he he uses them especially in the cartoon that you said I was watching. Uh it it's kind of hard to tell if he's using them in the comic. They're kind of just there and floating and stuff, but he definitely uses them in the cartoon. So maybe I'm just not understanding the comic uh, nice. as well. But are they flamey Ghost Rider chains? They are not flamey, but they oh. probably move about the same as the Ghost Rider chains. Nice. It is badass, dude. I've got a thing for those. Oh, yeah? Yeah, a lot. You you like to be tied up in chains? You like uh, to be chained? No. Hmm. I just like hot metal. Pretty much any metal. Heavy metal, yeah. black metal speed metal speed metal i was looking what about up prog this... metal do you like I, prog metal i was looking up the subgenres the other day and apparently there's stoner metal yep. i did not know that it's nirvana on steroids oh much. is that all all right that kinda weird <laughs> um, there was a quote that i will end on and kind of go into a tangent about and you're definitely going to have different views on this. So here we we go. This is where the shit gets deep. Heroes ain't supposed to be normal. They're supposed to be better. And imagine better in like metal scratchy writing. Like somebody drew many, many, many lines to accentuate those letters. Heroes ain't supposed to be normal. They're supposed to be better. That's why they're so famous. And I think that speaks to what you and Colin kind of call the boomerness of my opinion of things like the boys or somewhat or things like that. But also you like, like Watchmen, so that doesn't make any sense because the, the satire of that is that superheroes are really shit and they're idiots in costumes. I can live with Watchmen, but it's not like my favorite story ever, you know? Such it's sadness. Like it, it makes its point and it's succinct enough, whereas the boys just goes on and on and on and just shows you how awful Fair. the heroes are and how very popular they are and how they just revel in it, even though they're such villains. It's like... A-train, just... baby. <laughs> I can't stop. The basic... I don't know. There's so many examples of like the heroes being bad guys. Oh yeah. It's definitely overdone. The cinematic 
villains just to get popularity and make money and 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 whatever i think you're gonna like the most recent run on batman by uh james tynan i think you're gonna like it just because of that which series Mm -hmm. is that uh he replaced tom king on the main batman run Mm -hmm. so um it was issue 85 and I think we're up to like 102 or 103 right now. So Joker war and the prelude to Joker war. Weird. It's not even on my radar. So I, I think you'll like it a lot. All right. So, I mean, yeah, Batman kind of delves into it a little bit because he beats the ever loving crap out of villains, but he never crosses the line of killing them. So it's like, Right. You know, how that's much why Superman he... will always be like the definitive heroes because Superman right. is always going to be better, even if he isn't in reality better. There's always the, the goal, there's always the aspiration. There's always, even when there isn't Superman the person or like Clark Kent the human, there is always Superman the symbol. There is always that aspirational chest emblem above everything else because S stands for hope. <laughs> this is true <laughs> every universe does need a superman as dr manhattan finds out in doomsday clock anyway moving on from spoilers mm, love, um, me some, love me some doomsday clock anyway oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> oh boy uh what else have you been reading so i read another um iron fist book um mm, iron fist you've been pretty heavy into the iron farts <laughs> Uh, Iron Fist Book of Changes, which is 23 issues, uh, published Whoa. in 92 and 93. That's um, almost double the last issue, or yeah. the last series. Um, primarily written by Terry Cavanaugh, also written by Joey Cavallari, uh, mostly illustrated by Sam Keith. So it's, an, it's a collection. Uh, it is one story that was told over the Marvel Presents series, which is where a lot of the midnight suns all the the spooky stuff kind of lives because they don't always justify their own book um it lived there and was also told in part of the spider-man run because that is one of the characters that has a lot of crossover with the more mystical things every now and then which spider-man run uh 92 and 93 i don't remember who was primarily running this was just I believe Spider-Man before, run for yeah, it was just part of the main Spider-Man run. Oh, okay. It was only a few I thought issues. You were saying a specific one. No, it was it's in a like I said, it's a it's a trade with the name Iron Fist on it, and it's about Iron Fist, but it's in a lot of other books. Gotcha. Um, which yeah, it's basically a crossover between Iron Fist and Ghost Rider, which is an amazing Ooh. pairing. Yeah, it, it's a really good pairing. I think the chemistry that they have is excellent. The different types of mysticism work very well together as as well as in contrast um but the art was fine like there's some decent panels here and there it is a little 90s so like mega big shoulders little calves small feet not 100 rob liefeld but like that it looks very 90s that's because rob liefeld can't draw feet (laughs) yeah um (laughs) Yeah, it, it, it's very 90s, but before it started getting into just black and red and leather, like right at the end. Um, 
So art's like fine. The, the premise is pretty interesting. It's hard to describe the plot, so I won't even bother to be honest. Um, but Iron Fist, Ghost Rider crossover. That's all you need. Right. Um, so the premise is phenomenal, but because it's spread over so many different um, creative teams and over three or four different runs, it's a mess. So it's stupidly long. This thing should probably have been like maybe 15 issues. It's really long and bloated. And the tone Ugh. differs between writers because it's in a different series. Um, so it's a bit of a slog. But I'm stupidly disappointed there are no other crossover books like this one. Um, the characters have met and inter- interacted in other books, but not an Iron Fist Ghost Rider team-up book. There are no nothing. There's nothing else like that. And I want more of it because those are two of my favorite, quote-unquote, underground Marvel characters. And they don't even... They're, they're not even like in the same realm like one wouldn't even imagine like what's a good team up oh iron fist and ghost rider like iron fist is or, sorry uh ghost rider especially is a loner yeah pretty much so him teaming up with anybody is kind of unusual but yeah like iron fist is so under the radar he's just a, a street just a, a hair above street vigilante like, but that's the thing. Like they both are in that sense, and they both deal with mystical occult things, just mm-hmm. entirely different aspects of it, different cultures. You have like Ghost Rider is more of the satanic, um, I guess. Right, a lot more of the satanic stuff. You occult. have like yeah, actual occult, like Central American stuff. Um, and, a lot more. And Iron Fist is more of like a peaceful Buddhist Shintoism. I definitely wouldn't call it peaceful, but yeah, it's a lot more. Um, depends on which run you're he, reading. He's quite pacifist. He can be. Oh. In the other book I just read, he definitely is not. It really depends on which book you're reading. That's weird. That's what I said when I meant he can go both ways. He can be pretty <laughs> silly and goofy when he's hanging out with Luke Cage, and then other times he's a bloody monster. It's ridiculous. Um. Yeah, and then you have that, which is just different types of Eastern ideas. So when you're, they both have references to like hell or like a negative sort of afterlife or a space between, but it's entirely different. But because it's superheroes, those are two different dimensions that like coexist with each other. Like those sorts of things, like the fact that basically all of the urban legends and myths are true in every culture and they all interlink in some way, shape, matter, or form. Like all of that sort of stuff. I love that. And just really disappointed I spent like $20, $30 on this book because it's okay. not great. I mean, for the for the size, it's not a bad price, like price per page. It's just right, not 23 great. Issues. It's just not great. It's also printed on uh, the slightly older paper, so it's thinner because um, it was Is published. Is that like me. Watchmen paper where it's soft kind of newspaper-y? Closer to that, not exactly, but closer to it. Because um, I yeah. really liked the doomsday clock paper like super glossy kind of thick yeah very high definition yeah it's not that um it was not terribly popular uh a quick breeze through on like goodreads and other places online not a lot of people have read it or care so it makes sense that it's not a terribly expensive reprint it's just there for the sake of having a reprint gotcha That's what else have bad. you been reading i need to go pp before we continue Okay, I also have to go pee. All right. All right, so I beat Spencer back from the pee break, so I get to talk all kinds of shit. 
<laughs> I would like to first call out his girlfriend, Honey. Thank you for listening. We appreciate your listens, even though you won't admit to listening to your future husband. Um, Colin, when you start listening to this because you are missing out this week, just know that we love and miss you, but also uh, tell your girlfriend that Saturdays exist too, okay? All right? You can make dates on Saturdays, but not Friday nights because Friday nights are the for the boys, all right? Oh, man, and Spencer's back. Darn it. <laughs> what? I was talking mad shit. Oh, cool. <laughs> I have emptied my crotch pouch now, so we're good. Nice. What so, else what have else I been have reading? you been reading? Yes. So I started reading the uh, Dark Universe collection, Ooh. which is a retelling of fan favorite classics, um, DC comics in a dark multi-universe multi-universe i don't freaking know the timeline and where it takes place all i know is dc wanted to make a dark spin on fan favorites so they made up a reason here we go unless spencer would like to correct me on that no i'm curious so you started reading so it sounds like you're talking about the tales from the dark multiverse book yes Okay, that makes sense. Why are you reading that one first before reading through all of Dark Knight's Metal? I'm curious. I did not see it on the reading, on the chronological reading list that I uh, printed out. That's fair. Uh, literally, I have a checklist of read this first, and it goes by issue, not by book, because you have to jump yeah. the four Dark Knight's Metal books which kind of pisses me off but i did not see dark multiverse on the list gotcha. so yeah it's not plot relevant it's just it utilizes the the storytelling device that's the set theme. up in that right i did notice that when in the dark universe uh issue there's the joker with the freaking pet demon robins or something and i know mm. it's part of metal yes. but I don't know anything about it yet, so no spoilers. But, ah, fine. Um, the cool thing about this book is that it has the original issues in the back and Ooh. new issues, the Dark Universe issues in the front. So the first half is Dark Universe and the back half is just the fan favorite classics. Yeah, that would explain why that book is so thick for what it was. Yeah. Gotcha. So, uh, again, because I haven't read any of the metal stuff and know nothing of the Dark Universe so far, I started with the original. So let's kick it back to July 1993, a couple of years before Spencer, Colin, and especially I, no wait, I have that the other way around, uh, me, Spencer, and especially Colin were born, uh, Batman number 497, written by Doug Holy crap, my penmanship's bad. Monek? Menek, maybe? Looks like M-O-N-E-C-H. But anyway. Um, I wasn't all that impressed. Uh, it's just there for Batman to have the shit kicked out of him by Bane. And that's pretty much it. Uh, for people in the audience who don't know, this is the issue, the infamous issue, where Bane bends 
Batman over backwards, quite literally, and breaks his back. So it's the same thing, but darker. No, this is the original. Oh, okay, okay. Back in July of nineteen ninety. Yeah, 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 yeah. I wasn't a big fan of Nightfall, honestly. I, I like the surrounding series, Nightfall, but yeah. just I like a lot of it in theory. Sucks. It's just a lot of issues for what is a fairly short thing. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It only has this one issue. And gotcha. Batman's clearly suffering from something. He's like, I don't feel well. And he comes out of uh, the Batcave from behind the clock door yeah. that, that the grandfather clock door that hides his cave and Bane's there and just completely destroys him. Yep. And there's like an inner monologue of Batman saying, I'm not feeling it today. And then he's broken and that's it. So maybe it's the climax of the series. I don't know, but just by itself kind of sucked. But then. So what's uh, the edgelord version of that? That's where I'm going next. So there's Batman Knightfall. Uh, written by Scott Snyder and Kyle Higgins, uh, a godlike character is searching the universe for a hero or heroes uh, for a coming fight. Pretty much, uh, this godlike character's name is Tempest Fuginet. Fuginet. I don't know. That sounds kind of edgy. Fuginet. Fugginut. Um, Tempest Fugginut finds a Batman defeated by my favorite sexy man, Azrael, uh, and is tortured by Azrael for 30 years as, as he rules Gotham. That's kind of the point of Azrael defeating Batman. He's like, you've ruled Gotham long enough. I'm going to do it now. And like stabs Batman through the chest, and Batman's like, as he's hanging uh, from the sword, sticking through his chest, is like, but I never ruled Gotham. I just kind of moderate it as a vigilante. But okay, um, I didn't do that, but it's all right. You stabbed me. <laughs> I, I guess I'll live with it. <laughs> so he's kept alive um, through, you know. A, an overblown comic edition of life support it's just like nice. a brain in a bucket and like the <laughs> rest of him is just wires and, and hoses running from a wall and it's kind of weird um nice so as he has like cut off a limb every single year i i, I don't remember but i think it was just to admit that Azrael was the, the the king of Gotham, basically, and Batman wouldn't admit it. And Azrael's like, but I can kill you and let you freaking be happy or dead. And Batman's like, screw you. Um, Typical Batman. So, Please right. give me more pain. So after that, we get a 30 years later, when we tune in again, uh, Batman is broken free and kills ZZ Cop. I don't know. It was kind of a failed joke. Um, brutally and publicly displays Azrael is dead and that the Batman is back. It's kind of Azrael hanging uh, like with his elbows up near his shoulders and, and head kind of 
like over a huge bridge into Gotham with the bat logo behind him. Nice. And it's an announcement that the bat is back in black. <laughs> Made that one up on the spot. Love um, so this causes the Kmart version of the watcher to judge that this Batman is unworthy and moves on. Kmart version of the watcher. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to any of the old Gen Zers who remember Kmart. <laughs> Dang. <laughs> so I don't know. It's weird. Uh, I kind of like, I, I know what I'm getting into when I read dark tales from the multiverse like edge lord yeah you know what you're getting into but the surrounding story i don't understand yet uh i will get back to you have you been reading anything else that is the end of what i've been reading have you read Uh, anything else i have read one more thing nice uh i read the first collection of venom uh made and written in 2018 by Donny Cates, who was mentioned earlier. Ooh, lovely. So as I was reading it, I was picturing uh, how I was going to talk about it tonight. Um, And what I came up with was if Thor, the the Thor run, I forget, what's the first collection called? Is it Um, Mighty Thor? That is... No. No. um, Thor God of Thunder, I believe. So if Thor, God of Thunder, by Jason Aaron, is a mix of Viking and power metal. Like, it's just badass. It's, it's drawn like a painting. Like, it's just... And, 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 and the, the story is just mind-blowing. It's huge, bombastic. It's like a, a literary epic, right? If that's a mix of Viking and power metal, then... This Venom run is a mix of black and death metal. Like nice, it, it's just as hard. That's uh, a it, good way to describe it's it. It's just as good. It it's good storytelling, just like black and death metal is good music to listen to. Yes, but it's got that little bit of grunge and self-loathing, I guess. And Donny Cates and Jason Aaron are genuinely two of like the best comic book writers on the planet right now that are still alive. It's, it's insane. So good. This and then is... them and Scott Snyder. Why are they all metalheads? It's great. I love it. <laughs> right? It's it's bloody sweet. Um yeah, this has the potential to be my comic of the year so far. Even though it yeah. came out two years ago, it's just the comic that I read this year that is up and coming my favorite nice but we will save that for january episodes where we talk about our favorite comics of the year but anyway so how uh, far did you uh how far are you into this run you said the, the first the first, first collection so i think that's volumes one through five. Oh, gotcha oh wow you really did get a lot of reading done yeah it's um, really good stuff yeah, so apparently I, I was unknowingly coerced into likening Thor and Venom because the two are freaking ah connected was the word I had written in my notes. Wow. I <laughs> I told you it's a tight page of notes. It's all connected. The two are connected. Uh, yeah, it's the awesome. Story. So I cannot wait until you get to read War of the Realms. Your brain is going to blow up. 
Oh, I did War get of the my Realms. hands on that before I read anything yeah. else. I was like, what is going on? Pick yeah. this. I'm not War of that. the Realms and uh, Absolute Carnage. You're going to love it. I guess I'll give a little bit of an explanation since that's the point of tonight's episode is to just ramble. Do it. So the first several issues of uh, Thor, God of Thunder, uh, Thor is, has to beat down a god killer and uh pretty late in that story uh we get an issue explaining how the god killer got his god killing abilities and uh he was just a weakling i kind of picture like uh planet hulk the little bug-like things that can't do anything yeah um that have a miserable life living on a desert planet with no water and everybody's just miserable, but they keep reproducing so that mm-hmm. they live in misery. Um, he is living his miserable life searching for water or anything. And he's <sighs> discovers these two fallen, I believe they were gods, uh, that killed each other at the same time. One's impaled by a spear and the other's impaled by a sword. And there was some sort of goo or or something uh, through the sword and the sword like connects to him. And that's how he becomes the God killer. uh, Why does that sound suspiciously like a symbiote or a symbiote? (laughs) Well, I thought that when I was reading Thor, but it was never explored. So I was like, all right, that's weird. It's kind of gooey and gross, but it didn't look completely symbiotic, if you know what I mean. It wasn't completely... When are we going to do an ep? We got to do an episode on Venom eventually oh, so we can I knew you would. stop referencing it so much. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, so anyway, uh, this Venom run is the prequel to those two gods falling to planet misery uh, and shows how the two landed there and explains that the sword really is the symbiote. And uh, it's just so good. The story of this Venom book is awesome. The art just keeps getting better and better. Like I kept spamming. Uh, the group chat with Spencer and Colin with two page but one picture huge shots like huge epic shots of the action of what's going on oh it's so juicy it's so weird to think that Venom a mildly cringy character from the 90s as a Spider-Man villain has become one of the centerpieces of the Marvel Universe in this day and age that's very peculiar they've also changed him from the cringy character very much so but it's still so Venom at the same time covered in black and white and just fighting Spider-Man because I have to be a villain right to there's uh, so much more mythology again, and depth to it now, but it still works in its original form too. I guess. For me anyway. So yeah, it's it's also because they changed the uh host character, if I am correct. Twice, actually. Because yes. so it was this one's like a war torn veteran that is self-loathing yeah. and is kind of wondering if the symbiote is really what it tells him it is or if 
or right. you know you the reader just wondering if he's schizophrenic pretty much right yeah and then he so, ends up dropping it off and then deadpool picks it up because that's canonical <laughs> and then deadpool puts it back and then spider-man gets it it's so weird i think i saw that the symbiote was like you stink too much or something and basically or something because deadpool's so dead weird. and gross but yeah it is very it's very crazy there's also um venom the uh first host miniseries which i own it's about that warrior character but it's in it's after a lot of the venom run currently is it's got a lot of flashbacks but it involves the creation of another symbiote because of course we need another one because that happens too much but anyways so um you dig so there were quite a few times reading just five issues where I was like, whoa, like, like I was watching an epic movie, <laughs> but I was just reading a freaking comic book. Like this book is so good and I cannot wait to read the rest of the series. There's a lot too. Kind of. I it's mean, not quite as expansive as Jason Aaron's Thor run, but right. there's a, it's also still ongoing. Right. So I found the first four collections for like three bucks each. And that catches me up to like the last seven issues, maybe, maybe yeah. five, five to seven issues. So this might be the first time that I start buying issues weekly or monthly nice uh, because this story so far is so epic nice so yeah comic of the year contender right here baby i could definitely get on board with that uh so that is all that we have been reading and as a side note i would just like to critique this ginger beer a little bit it's got like extra bubbles or something so that even when you're sniffing it it tickles the back of your throat and makes you kind of cough much less when you're sipping it you got to be very careful sipping it it's it's not just spicy i think it's too many bubbles but it tastes good so with that being said let's move on to the i'm thinking about now i'm thinking about cobra bubbles from lilo and stitch (laughs) (laughs) let's move on to the new topic the the new part of the show that we are introducing without colin that's right, folks. Let's talk about this week's Mandalorian episode. Oh, that's what we're doing now. Okay. <laughs> On the spot improv. Uh, yeah. So talking about the first episode of the Mandalorian season two. So that'd be also chapter nine. known as chapter nine. Which is the Marshall that came out, technically speaking, last week. But anyways, um, yeah. We- time shifts between the release of our episodes and mandalorian episodes yeah we don't have a 24-hour turnaround that's that's not a thing although Uh, i did last week with the justice league you really did you slayed that thing that was great i just wanted Uh, to get it out of the way and have a week of gaming yeah so yeah um holy cow that was an absolutely excellent season premiere i watched it three times in the same day gosh (laughs) i watched it on my own i watched it uh with colin uh right before we recorded last week and then i watched it again when i got home nice it's so good so uh do you want to get into the the boba fett lore 
mean, there isn't much to it, but yeah, I can explain that. Uh, so the character, um, obviously full spoilers for this episode, um, Cobb Vanth, the um, marshal for that part of, what was that, Mos Espa? Um, whatever, whichever Mos it was, um, that area of Tatooine, the story of him basically being uh, run out of town by the mining company um, and then finding Jawas and getting that armor was actually told in one of the Aftermath novels. Um, it was a side story, very brief. And it wasn't, obviously it was a book. So it wasn't described as, hey, he saw Boba Fett's armor and then he bought it. It was like some Mandalorian armor all dinged up and pocked from acid burns and busted up and whatever. And that was kind of the end of it. So um, there was a theory uh, in episode, I believe it was five of the first season. There is a character wearing spurs um, and boots that walks up to one of the dead bodies after an incident with the Mandalorian. Um, and we never ended up finding out who that was. Um, it's presumed you could assume it was just Moff Gideon. It doesn't make sense, but you could just assume it for the sake of plot. Um, but it looks more and more like that was probably Boba Fett, um, which was a theory at the time. And it's becoming more prevalent now. So yeah, Boba Fett obviously <clears throat> was eaten by the Sarlacc in Return of the Jedi. Uh, at some point, we're obviously talking about current Disney canon. Um, it was unknown whether or not he escaped assumed dead the armor basically got burped out onto the sand at some point or another after being partially digested uh hence why it looks like garbage and the jawas picked it up they sold it to this this marshal and he's been using it as basically showmanship um as a, as a symbol for the people he lives with and then our character our mandalorian din Djarin's like hey you're not supposed to have mandalorian armor that's bullshit give it to me now before I kill you. Well, they also explain that as a Mandalorian, he has the right to reclaim it. Yes, because it's part of their culture. As one would like to say, my weapons are part of my religion, also known as American. Um, wow, that went way political, way too quickly. Yeah, so that's basically all of that, where that is. So it's currently unknown in um, Disney canon whether or not Jenga Fett, whose armor that was originally was actually a Mandalorian or not. Um, because in Legends, he <clears throat> wasn't, but he was raised by Mandalorians. So he had the culture and he got the armor, but he wasn't one. He obviously doesn't follow the code, um, which was set up after the purge because that the the purge was, you know, uh set in after like the actual the jedi you know the great purge of jedi it was after that so boba fett never really followed that he was just a mercenary jenga fett seemed to be somewhat similar um but the mandalorian culture between legends and canon is clearly different in multiple different facets whether it just evolved differently or it was always different or whatever um initiate order 66 oh boy Dude, I really want to go watch the prequels now. Um, you really don't need any encouragement to. Go I really watch the don't. Prequels, I so. genuinely don't. Um, yeah. 
So it's unknown whether or not he was. Judging by his behavior, he wasn't because he was just a mercenary who worked with the separatists for money. Um, but theoretically, he could have been. But it makes more sense if he wasn't. So it would create an interesting dichotomy of um, the Mandalorian warring with Boba Fett in one way, shape, matter, form over the fact of, you know, you're not a Mandalorian. You're disgracing my culture, blah, 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 all sorts of stuff. And that's why I'm interested in Boba Fett still being alive. Not because ooh, badass is still alive because he never did anything badass and we all know it. He just looked cool. Um, that's fine. It's okay that people just look cool. Thank you for coming to my TED Talk. Boba Fett is still cool <laughs> even though he died like a puss. Uh, um, one of my favorite gags from this episode, completely unrelated to what you were just talking about, was that uh, one of the Tusken Raiders was brushing the Banta's teeth that was so funny that was great like some of the humor was forced but that was freaking awesome (laughs) i i really enjoyed the fact that the the marshall's um hover bike was made out of a pod racer engine i loved that that's so goofy like it's goofy as all hell but it's so great i want to know whose pod racer it was a part of i'm sure there's some sort of deep buried easter egg there potentially i mean it kind of looked like anakin's if i'm being honest but i wasn't paying that close of attention i think name like getting that specific is where it can kind of lose the impact of being special because then everything is connected and the world feels small just there were pod races on tatooine like a lot of them a lot of pod racers got destroyed so it would make sense that it got salvaged i don't know um also I know you're gonna sigh heavily when I say this, but they stole the sandworm from Dune, and you know it. Little bit, yes. <laughs> Little bit, yes. But 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 there is hope in this. It is a badass fight at the end of the episode with the sandworm, awesome. and it it looked really cool. I was watching it on my phone with crappy headphones so i want to watch it again with like a surround sound system Do and it. hear those heavy booms oh it was excellent but this could be proof that the monster hunter movie could actually not be completely shit. that's a very interesting takeaway that i had not thought of but that is true also Mia Jovovich. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, something that I double takes when I was watching it with Colin, because I hadn't noticed when I watched it on my phone the first time, the aspect ratio, it's me and aspect ratios again. Um, mm. The aspect ratio did shift when the, when the sandworm came out during the final battle, when it was a, a blank screen, it did switch over to being... Um, so it went from normal 16.9. So there were small bars on the top and bottom, and then it switched over to, I think that'd be 1.85. Um, and those what? bars were gone. So the screen actually expands. So you're using the entire screen during that sequence, what? and then it goes back down. Didn't notice it on my phone. I thought I was going crazy when I watched it with Colin, and then we scrolled back when it like at the end, and then it shifts back to back down. And I was like, oh, I'm not crazy. It did get bigger. That's freaking Freaking weird. Did you research it? No, I just watched it. It physically changed. And I mean, I can guess what aspect ratio it is. Nope. But like it clearly is because you're using a massive freaking sandworm. They want to show how big it is. Like you don't really need to explain that. 
But so I thought the the little black bars on the top and bottom were to make it a wider view, kind of like when you shoot a panoramic picture on your phone, the black right. bars on the top and bottom get bigger and bigger. It makes it wider. You go sideways more and more and more to get that wider shot. So are you actually losing space or making the space smaller by taking those bars away with a different aspect ratio? It depends on which aspect ratio you're switching to. I mean, think of it, the the easiest comparison is think of um, IMAX being used for the Dark Knight Rises in some sequences. Switching back and forth was really janky. At least it bothered me. But like it switches back and forth during some of the action sequences or you go to something we have discussed recently, Zack Snyder's Justice League. Yeah. Easiest comparison. The screen is more full because it's utilizing more of the your physical screen space that's available. So when it's cropped or like a 16.9 or whatever, like generic widescreen where there are some bars on the top and bottom, um, it's making the image wider while it still obviously maintains some height, it depends on how you shoot it. You have to shoot for the two different aspect ratios in different ways. So when you add it and you take away those bars, essentially, you're adding more onto the top and bottom. So however you shoot it, it can be further out or it can just feel like it's crushed in. It really depends on how you shoot it. Aspect ratios aren't simple. <laughs> but So a quick Googling... According to all-knowing, all-seeing Wikipedia, the majority of the episode is shown in a 21-9 aspect ratio, uh, while the crate dragon fight at the end of the episode was expanded to a 16-9. Okay, that makes ratio. sense. I apologize. I was getting my aspect ratios up. Oh my gosh. I know, right? So bad. Um, so is it like a smooth transition? Like do the bars slowly expand? No, it was. Solve? Or is it a hard chop? No, it was like, um, I don't remember exactly what it was, but I believe it was like a really dark shot, like into the cave or mm -hmm. um, a quick shot of it coming up. And then it just like you, I, thought i was going crazy because i didn't notice if it was there before or not so, so they i intentionally hit it with the cave right is something along those lines Weird. or like when it was coming out of the ground and then as it moved the screen bumped out or something along those lines so it was sneaky when it went back down it was kind of obvious but nobody hmm. really cares i'll uh, have to go back and try different ways of watching this yes also i, I need to rewatch it <laughs> yeah I, I really, really am liking how much better they're utilizing Tatooine right now because they're still on, like, the Star Wars planet. Right. But it doesn't feel like we're on the Star Wars planet. Right. Like, even though we're dealing with Boba Fett and sand people and the sandworm, which we saw a skeleton of in A New Hope, like, that's fan service. It's just explaining stuff that's in the world. It's more world building because of the different ways that it's getting shot and like the different colors, different locations they're using, it feels like an actual planet instead of just prequel trilogy. Mos Eisley. Right. Like Mos Eisley. And then you have like original trilogy. Tatooine was just yellow sand and you had like canyons. Then yep. you go to the prequels where it's like really big and red and orange, which I really did like. It was just I very clearly. The prequels. 
I really did like how they shot it, to be honest. Um, in at least in episode two, more so. Episode one was pretty close to a new hope in terms of that, but in episode two, it was bigger and more blood red on occasion, different types of canyons. And then in the Mandalorian, we have more like brown sands and more do like we're seeing different parts of the planet. So the the landscapes are changing. It's some of it's being shot on set, but a lot of it looks to be shot on location in some other places. So it feels more holistic. Shot on location in Tatooine. On oh, Tatooine. Yes. Clearly. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Everybody I really knows I, this. I love how they're still utilizing um, the Tuscan Raiders and they're expanding their culture. That that sort of stuff always gets me where it's like world building on stuff we already knew. So it's like, yeah, they aren't just we touched on this. Um with the first season obviously it's like hey they're not just monsters like every other culture there are differences and people can't communicate clearly so something about that kind of bothered me it was like when they beat the dragon dune sandworm thing um no i can't let that go <laughs> um all the tuscan raiders started cheering by raising their arms and weapons over their head and doing the grunting. Yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But in episode four, the original Star Wars movie that happened when the Tusken Raider was attacking. So it was weird to tie those two together or, or to bring them notice back. That. I didn't notice that, but I think like the tone of voice was very different. I might be wrong. I don't know. I want to look into that now. I just so, like I sand know. people. It's yeah. interesting. They, I, I must agree. They did really well with using the Tuscan Raiders and expanding their. It makes sense. Their story that, and their culture. It makes sense that the Mandalorian has sympathy for them because he's also part of a nearly erased culture that nobody really talks about or respects anymore. So it makes sense that he would be talking to these people. Like it just fits. So I know I keep bringing up complaints, but. It seemed kind of forced the mistrust and unhappiness between the townspeople and the Tuscan Raiders. Like, really? There were a couple dumb examples of, like, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You guys suck. And it's like, all right, calm down. And they're learning to work together. Like, it felt a little forced trying to show that they didn't get along. I guess. I mean, it felt a little bit more goofy than it yeah. normally does. In, yeah. that, I, I, in that sense, probably just because we haven't seen so many of them in a place, like not in the middle of an attack or with normal humans or whatever. Mm-hmm. I mean, you definitely don't have to convince the audience that people don't like Tuscan Raiders on Tatooine because right. they're literally treated like garbage and Anakin slaughters the shit out of them multiple so times. Like- just give us one example that they don't get along and make it way less cringe and it would have been so much better. Yeah, fair enough. Leave it I, assumed. I mostly. really like how Cobb Vanth looks like garbage in the Boba Fett armor. Like, right. I mean, he still looks cool, but like he doesn't fill it out right. He's not built for that. It's right. not made for him. You can tell he's using it for show. I, I just really like kinda, that. Kind of looks like a hobo just picked it up and is Kinda, trying to yeah. make it fit. Kind of. It's really cool. And also the the casting is very on the nose because it's him. It's it's really meta because the actor is portraying a character who's putting on a performance like the characters he usually plays in Westerns. I just thought that was really cool. I don't know what you're talking about. Uh, he oh, what did the, he's played a couple like the 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 lone gunman marshal boy 
like the I run this place nonsense like that same type of Western character he's played quite frequently in a lot of other forms of media and the different shows and stuff Hmm. Um, and I like the fact that it's meta because it's like hey he's actually really not like that it's just putting on a performance for like the town even the town doesn't know it's entirely legit but it's for the sake of unity between the people in the area interesting I liked it also, uh, the rocket was great. That was on, that was an on the nose Iron Man reference, and I don't care. I want to know how he keeps reloading that rocket. Is it a unique rocket, or is it like common ammunition? Like, probably. Where do those rockets come from? Because he used it earlier in the show, like when he was telling a backstory of how he got the armor, and then he uses it later, and it's like, how did it reload though? It's probably just regular rocket ammunition because the even if it's not in common use at that point by normal people, the Mandalorians were a massive culture and they did they, they did spread their technology elsewhere. So we would assume there's ammo around somewhere you can I need that. answers. <laughs> Goodness. Uh, so, so anything else? Tamora Morrison is looking like a really jacked up Boba Fett, and I am so down. I'm I'm cool. very excited. That's all I've got. Nice. What else have you been watching? Um, so I I've watched a decent bit actually. Oh, um, crap. <laughs> not not a whole lot, lot, but um I'm gonna I was gonna talk about the first season of The Mandalorian, but I'm just gonna skip over it because we've already been talking about the second season anyway. Um because <laughs> that yeah, I've rewatched the the full first season. Best viewing I've had so far. Nice. Um, so I watched Ready or Not, which is a horror black comedy film. Jacob, you I think you'd actually love horror? it. I it's don't a comedy what's horror. going on. A comedy horror. Okay, Basically, but have you seen Cabin at the End of the Woods? I yes, I have. Freaks right. me out, but is also funny. Um <laughs> so basically uh newlyweds. Um the, there's a, a couple the um the guy comes from a rich, affluent family that owns companies and whatever, um, like board game companies, hence the premise. Um, <clears throat> and they have this weird tradition of all the newlyweds or the the new acceptant into the family. So the, the bride or the groom or whatever um, has to play a game with the rest of the family. It can be checkers, chess, or... Oh, yeah, I saw this one. Yeah, or... Um, killer hide and seek <clears throat> quite literally um it's a really weird concept but um and then she gets chased around this mansion by the rest of the family and their servants and stuff um so it's a really odd premise that i thought actually delivered as promised to an extent um it continually kept tension while actually making me laugh like nothing no like on the ground rolling laughs but it was still fairly tense in terms of editing and suspense but there were still chuckles like a couple of times she gets injured in ways i'm like that's gross and that hurt to watch but also it's ironic so it like there stuff like that uh, ironic yes again um, well, <laughs> the emperor can't stop <laughs> um it was very it was a very good performance by the lead arguably what would carry the movie because you the, the surrounding characters are in it but they're all caricatures um swift runtime it was very short like i didn't notice until it was over it was like an hour and 34 minutes or something felt longer but it was still very swift 
um gorgeous set design costume design like lighting was it looked really really nice um kept my interest in the short times when the character moments were kind of lacking there were in there were there were attempts at some growth here and there and some plot that was interesting some interesting world building and not all of it panned out terribly well it was more interesting in concept um but because it was so gorgeous to look at and like the score was so exciting and the jokes were actually entertaining, it didn't make it drag out or anything for me. So I liked it. It wasn't amazing, but it, it was definitely unique. I remember being kind of annoyed by it because it is a really good idea, but I didn't feel as though they uh, followed through with it well enough. Like, it was kind of one of those movies where it's like you see the trailer and your imagination makes it a better movie than what the actual thing is. I don't know. Maybe it's just me, but it seemed kind of flat and I felt it didn't really deliver. But that's also because I watch a lot of horror movies. Um, Some of them black comedies, I guess, but I don't know. I didn't I don't remember anything being really unique about it besides the actual concept that it's game night, but killer. I really liked the, um, it it is a good idea, but the final twist actually was twisty. Do you remember the final twist at all? Maybe I will definitely remember it when you remind me the fact that like the, uh, the curse was actually real. Like it's like, Oh, this curse on this family, they have to play this game or they're all going to die. It's like, this is clearly a joke. They're taking this thing too seriously. They're psychopaths. And it's like actually true. And they all end up blowing up in front of her. And she's just like losing her mind and laughing her ass off the whole time. I thought that, that was, was kind pretty, of funny. that was really funny. Just yep. coated in blood and guts, but it's, yeah, it looked like playing doom. It was I great. It was, I think what put me off the most was like her monologue to herself about what was going on like a lot of are you kidding me this isn't real but it's like yeah. very rude and crude and it's like meh not my that's, style that's fair that's fair i don't know i don't know i don't know that uh, one and uh what's the freaking horror movie that came out this beginning of this year oh hunters hunted you know um, what i'm talking about Oh, the hunt. Yeah. Yeah. The political was... satire that that I did like that movie actually quite a bit. It was the <laughs> same thing for that one. Fair. Yeah. Same sentiment. Kind of the same thing too. It's similar, yeah. I don't know. I have a stronger liking for the the black comedy type horror movies where it's like, yeah, there's still a couple of decent scares in there. There's some jump scares, but also it's kind of funny. I like those and thriller, like psychological thriller movies, a hell of a lot more than I like straight up horror movies. Paranormal horror movies are just kind of freak me out too much. And they're usually shit anyway. Mm. So speaking of political satire, Ooh. I watched the first two episodes of the HBO series Watchmen. Oh, here we go. Oh, yeah. So, what Spencer's are you thinking so far? His knuckles. Um, it's fine. Um, it's well made. 
kind of I'm confused about the message it's trying to give. So the police have gone full-blown 1984, right? So anybody who was rising against the authoritarian police force was a person of color, which seemed on the nose. Like, I see the point they're trying to make, and it's so outright that it's a little annoying. On Um, occasion. It also shows that the people rising against the police also aren't completely heroes kind of like kind of like deadpool in the first one where he's like always saying you he's not a hero <laughs> you know don't recognize him as one it's, it's the same for the people rising against the bad guys i guess you could say so it's like bad guys versus bad guys but in different ways so it's like there was a battle between the two and i'm just like I've got nothing to root for. Like, what's the point? So it that's might change fair. as I'm watching the show, but I think it's definitely a matter of what angle you look at it from. Cause I absolutely bloody loved it. Um, but it, it depends because it, as one would assume it's a Watchmen property. Um, this being right. the most critically acclaimed of all the sequels in any way, shape, matter, form, it's it nothing ever ends. Is and it's point. impossible to talk about this without getting political. And that's a Watchmen is very this political. week because Kanye didn't win the presidency. Very sad. I'm ready to riot. Okay. Kanye I'm ready for a new new Kanye. <laughs> um, I, I want some presidential raps going on. <laughs> so anyway um, um yeah because the it, other it, thing that kind of bugged me about this show is that i think it was once per episode notice i only watched two episodes every time i guess the main character you would call her uh angela abar yes um, sister knight every time that she was trying to enjoy the company of her husband they got interrupted uh, <laughs> They get interrupted by bad guys trying to kill her. And it's like, maybe you should stop doing the do so you don't die. um, (laughs) That's more relevant than you think. Yeah. Um, I think definitely it's, I'd say at about, it's, oh, I can't remember how many episodes it is. I think it's 10 episodes, 10 or 12. Nine. Um, Nine. Okay. So it was like episode six five or six it most of it comes together and then the next couple add on to it and then the finale is like actually a finale there's a couple of parts that w- were a little weird but um so yeah, yeah it, i, I it, could agree it's, with it's a it as, in progress as usual with most of our disagreements i agree with the point it's just how much it bugs me is usually very different right you align yourself with political views far more often than i do this is true so, but i will bad. admit those cop uniforms while terrifyingly bad for society look really nice <laughs> they're aesthetically pleasing there were a lot of interesting aesthetic choices like the uh the rainstorm that's actually squids falling yeah. Besides being an Easter egg to the comic book. It's... Oh, it's more than an Easter egg, which is right. basically my answer to anything you say. <laughs> right. 
All right, that's At, fair. I'm assuming but you know who Jeremy were... Irons is playing. I have a good guess, okay. so don't spoil it. Okay, your guess um... is probably right, but anyway. <laughs> That um, narrative was that narrative does tie in, and I I that was one of my favorite parts was that bit. That's another thing is that in episode two, uh, Jeremy Irons' character's manservant uh, turns into Doctor Manhattan during a play, and I'm pretty sure his junk was a prosthetic. That's very specific of you well hey i called it out during doomsday clock so this is true i need doomsday clock continuity okay oh my gosh (laughs) see that's the thing which i am currently once i go through doomsday clock twice um is the sense of differentiating continuities because the as we've kind of touched on before with Watchmen, you have just Watchmen purists. Then you have the before Watchmen comics, which you can add into all of the continuities. They don't really change anything. Then you have the TV show with does retcon a few things, not retcon exactly, but recontextualizes a few things in very dramatic ways. Um, and then you I have would Doom- like to see a list on that. Trust me. You'll, you'll, you'll be able to tell. Okay. Um, Hooded Justice, leaving it there. Um, uh, but then the uh, Doomsday Clock is clearly in another continuity than the show. Like those two don't coexist in terms right. of time or anything else. And it's unknown which continuity the new Rorschach series is in. I'm assuming the comic book continuity. Um, but it's just weird. That still bugs the crap out of me. Like, it it just it that bugs, bugs me. I'm a continuity you because person. you are original Watchmen continuity continuity only kind of guy for but the most part. Also not because like I love this show. Right. I think I enjoyed it more than I actually enjoy Watchmen. I also love the adaptation, but yeah, they shouldn't exist. But also, if they're there, I'm gonna watch them. So I don't know. Yep. All right. So what else have you been watching? Uh, I rewatched uh, Wonder Woman, the 2017 film again for the uh, yeah. th- probably dozenth time ish whoa that's crazy maybe less um i've seen it i think the one time that i watched it in theaters with you wow um yeah so upon many rewatches uh basically every single element is near perfectly hurtling towards an amazing conclusion until the internal story and conflict becomes external about 25% into the third act and then Diana's growth becomes muddied for the sake of destroying a big gray bad guy. Mm-hmm. So close to being an absolute masterpiece. It's so close. And then like two choices made back to back up all of that. So it goes from being like a 9.85 out of 10 to like an 8.25 tops. Just the, so what two choices are you referring to? Well, the, the big thing, which basically every pundit has made note of, the, the message becomes muddied. You have a very clear narrative of Diana's story, you know, needing to understand that humanity is <laughs> like it's we're not just being controlled by Ares, as she so naively believes the whole freaking time. We're not being mind controlled. We're not being coerced or whatever 
humans are just doing this. Humans are at war with each other and killing millions of people, and she needs to understand that. But also, as the 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 sacrifice of Steve Trevor, as well as the rest of the war, makes clear to inspire her that humanity has potential to be more than that. In a similar sense to how Superman usually operates. Yeah, like humanity's pretty crap, but there's hope. So I have to pursue that through um, different means. And then when you take that conflict of like, hey, stopping Ares won't change the war. Then Ares shows up, she kills Ares and the war ends. <laughs> Bro, it genuinely pisses me off. Not just because it's sloppy, because it seems very strongly to indicate a rewrite reshoot something because of how like the whole rest of the movie is pointing so clearly at one narrative thread that makes all the sense in the world everything's going in the same direction and then there's just it's like a light switch and then it just kind of turns into a dumb movie like it's not bad it's still a decent fight with some pretty good effects some interesting acting blah 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 I remember it, being really annoyed by how much slow-mo was in the final fight. Yeah, like, there, there was is a some bit much through the movie, and I get that. That's an art a style to the movie, but there was so much. There was a lot in the third fight. act. Yeah, that, that's fair. Um, yeah, and that, that just irritates me so much because that's not just a oh, bad CGI, dumb, bad character design. I actually think Ares was like the melted armor looks pretty cool. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that the lighting is dark with fire. Like it's going to look crappy. That's just asking for it. It's a big mm -hmm. CGI monstrosity. You have to light it in certain ways. Um, but she shouldn't be fighting Ares. Ares should, by the, the rest of the movie's logic, show up, be like, hey, I know you're looking for me. I'm still alive. I'm not making these people fight. Like he says, like he literally says with the lasso of truth around him. And he says, truthfully, I'm not making these people fight. They're doing it of their own volition. I can plant ideas, but that's all I'm doing. And then he pretty much instantaneously turns after she says, no, I won't. F He's like, Hey, you need to join me so we can slay these pathetic humans because I feed off of war and war is good. And it's like, what the f together? We can rule the galaxy. Quite literally. Yeah. He's an actual mustache twirling villain. <laughs> I think the casting of, of Thulis is awesome. It's just, dude, you, you quite literally go from an internal conflict-based story to an external-based conflict. So she does learn the lesson, but it doesn't entirely make sense why. Right. And it like I get the sense of catharsis of like, hey, the whole base is blown up, but the war is ending and people are getting along better. But the it really should have to some capacity or another should have she should have killed um, the 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 German general. The most of the rest of like the the stuff with the plane and the bombs and Steve Trevor should have stayed exactly the same. But Ares should have showed up and been like, yeah, I'm not doing this. They could have fought even. Like, there's nothing inherently wrong with that. But it's the fact that killing him stops the war by all narrative sense of, of implicit and explicitly. He is doing this and he is just screwing with humans for the sake of having war. You could have made that character so much more, uh, so much deeper of like, hey, and the rest powerful. of the, the rest of the gods were petty assholes, which we know that's how like Greek mythology works. 
as, as well as in the DC universe. Mm-hmm. Like they were all petty dickheads. I was trying to show them that Zeus's creations of humans were terrible. They cast me out. I had to kill a bunch of them, but like, I wasn't looking for this, even though he is still the God of war, you could have had that own internal dynamic, but big gray monstrosity ends war. That's, that's just dumb. Yeah. It, because everything else is so good. The chemistry is off the charts. The writing is tight. The acting is really good. The costumes are great. And ugh, it's just frustrating because it's so close. And even when you take that into account, it's still really, really good. Ugh. This just bugs me, man. <laughs> so what else have you been watching? I watched the first two episodes of the spawn animated uh show i guess it is very much an adult cartoon Ooh, are there Uh, boobs yes wow there's harsh language there i don't think there's a whole maybe i'm remembering wrong i was kind of watching it at bedtime so i might have fallen asleep but i don't remember too much violence like outright outrageous violence but uh yeah it's it's edgy all over which is kind of weird i don't really give it points for that because it adds a lot of those edgy uh contents over the comic book like the story has pretty much stayed the same so far from the first issue or two but Hmm. it it's adding a weird uh mastermind villain uh you know uh way high up in his penthouse calling the underlings from his shadowy desk um it's adding that and it's just adding a lot of sex and language that wasn't in the comics and it doesn't make it any better for my viewing like you might not care because you're like that but it doesn't I'm like, what? (laughs) It doesn't add anything but just make it edgelord material. So it is good. Um, The animation is typical 90s. Um, It's still got the, like I said, the villain from the first issue or two in his originally drawn mutated form. Nice. Um, uh, hands on hands on hands on hands on hands and gross um the voice acting is really good uh like i texted you last night the voice actor for spawn is the arbiter from halo 5 which is which... also the arbiter from all of halo oh really i was about to reach through the phone and smack you for even referencing halo 5 without well, referencing I, everything I else i didn't know i was looking at credits on your least favorite uh movie reference app and it didn't reference it didn't cite the other halos it only said well that would be why it's my least favorite anything (laughs) you know he's always been the arbiter oh that voice not the internet database for video games it's for movies so then why have video games on there (laughs) be like letterbox and only have movies (laughs) but then i wouldn't know that he was connected to halo and you can google it google does the same stuff google Yeah, Google does the same stuff. Thanks, Karen. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's pretty oh, much that all I got on that. Very nice voice. Mm-hmm. Mm. 
so creamy nice anything else that's it oh wow so i wow um epic gamer time oh yeah so i played the second season of telltale's batman adaptation the evil within i understand that one is like a hundred times better bro i got some thoughts i got some thoughts t-h-o-t uh no Oh. The other ones that I can't spell. Oh. Um, so based just typical game stuff, um, aside from the fact that it's a Batman story, the action scenes are done better than the first season, which I already enjoy how um, I enjoy how the Batman games approach action. They're still point and click or point and tap, mostly dialogue based movies they're barely even interactive half the time pretty um, much dumbed down quick time events pretty much um but i like how they've approached action it does have more layers to it just different button combinations like and... an onion yep i beat you to it there's always Suck gonna it. there's always a shrek reference <laughs> that should be the sex noise because <laughs> Shrek is love and Shrek is life. No, um, you're so messed up. <laughs> I know. Um, anyways, so better action sequences. Um, the duality between Batman and Bruce Wayne is less interesting. Um, it might partially because, be because of my narrative choices in this game, because I was not able to continue my story from the first game. It seems like I was fairly well in line with what the game had planned anyway, but the story, it, you know, there's always that choice, like the end of each episode, Hey, you can go as Batman or you can go as Bruce Wayne to approach right. this thing differently. And it's a bit of a gimmick, but I like it. And it was far less interesting in this one because frankly, really early on, my identity got released to a lot of different people, which Oof. I find interesting. That's why I picked those options because it's different. So by the time I was done um, with just done with both seasons, um, we have Alfred, ba- basically all the villain. Uh, so Alfred, Lady Arkham, um, John Doe, Penguin, uh, Lucius Fox, Lucius Fox's kid in the second one, um, still John Doe, Harley Quinn by the end of the game. Um, who are the other people? Fudge. Amanda Waller, very much so new. Um, one of the cops that I worked with in the second game, and I think there was a couple of other people, like a lot of people knew who I was. So mm. there were less options available and you spend a lot of the, t- the the game underground as Bruce Wayne, but being a criminal. It's the plot's really weird. If I'm being honest, you have the pact, which is basically Riddler, Harley Quinn, Bane, uh, Mr. Freeze and John Doe, who kind of John Doe, not exactly. Basically, you have all of them are, are a criminal syndicate there to do things, which I can't explain. Riddler dies. An orgy. No, oh. no, 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 no. I mean, I'm sure that's what John Doe wants to do to Harley Quinn. But anyways, um, yeah, like it. it Riddler dies by the end of the first episode. I really did like how the Riddler was. He was more of the, he did did riddles and puzzles, but he was very sadistic. 
his cane is more like a scythe so it's sharp so he cuts people's throats it's also a grappling hook which is goofy but i like it um like that he has done basically dungeons in his house of just different traps and i i quite liked it not that type of dungeon um, oh man i was just about no. to ask anyways um so i really liked what they did with riddler like he was um he was around before batman was there he was part of like the old world order so to speak um yeah so you have that um and then yeah as bruce wayne you try to infiltrate the pact and you start working with them but on behalf of amanda waller and the people backing her it's weird i think that's a big part of where the split narrative comes in because i had my identity revealed to so many different people i was playing as bruce wayne and batman at the same time by being batman i became closer to a branch of the government it's hmm. weird um so kind of white knightish yeah i guess creation of the freaking whatever acronym it was kinda ish um i do really like gordon's kind of a little bit um i do really like gordon in these games he he's a little typical gordon i wanted while i keep accidentally revealing my identity to so many other people i just wanted to tell gordon at this point i'm like dude i just want to tell gordon because this would explain so many things it would make this game so much easier and it just my options never led to a path where i was able to do that and i hated it (laughs) so everybody knew but him (laughs) basically but one of the things that i thought was really good which i texted out into the group chat at the time was um amanda waller had confronted gordon Gordon was talking to Batman and they're all on a rooftop. And um, basically Gordon's like, why are you like being her pawn? What's going on? And you're like, she knows my identity, you know, Jim. And then Jim's like, yeah, I know who the you are too. He's Batman. That's the only thing that matters. Doesn't matter who else you are under there. You are still Batman. And it's like, that was really good. I wouldn't say that's a focus of the game or like a main theme or anything. It was just a really mm-hmm. good line of dialogue that I quite enjoyed. That's exactly what Jim Gordon's attitude is and kind of always has been to it is even when I know I don't really care. It's not the point. Cool. Um, so yeah, really unique villain characterization all around. Not going to go in depth on a lot of them. There are some interesting ones. Um, Joker and Harley, I have weird thoughts on, to be honest. Because if you played the first game, you would know Joker is John Doe. He was an inmate at Arkham who doesn't have a name. He's already white and pasty and green. Like, that's already a thing for whatever reason. Um, I really liked how they used him in the first game. And in this game, it started out okay. Like, he starts stalking you and trying to... He's being all socially awkward and stuff because he's John Doe and he's kind of cute. And you're like, oh, this poor socially awkward man. And he's basically Harley's bitch. It is the exact opposite dynamic of how Joker and Harley usually work. And I was kind of down for it because it was interesting. It was very different. But just because of how Harley Quinn was portrayed, it got on my nerves too much. I wasn't able to really take it in. I liked some of what they tried with Harley Quinn. Like she's more sane than she looks and she actually might have a degenerative health disease. So she's trying to cure herself and blah, blah, blah. But also just, I don't know if it was the voice acting or the performance or how many times I just wanted to punch her in the face I you've wanted always, to punch her in the face all the time. Like you've all always the time. said that 
Harley's voice just greets you. But when it's the the regular voice actress, her name is slipping my brain at the time. But like, yeah, yeah it grinds your gears, but it's also Harley Quinn. Like you don't I, ever, you kind of don't want her to shut up just a little I, bit. Yeah, I, I have always kind of liked the Harley character. Like, yeah, exactly. I wouldn't want to live with it, but that would be a bit scary. Yeah, but but uh, it never annoys me. Right to to violence like it does you so yeah like i you know like normal like even with the joker they're supposed to irritate you like they're not supposed to be the most fun things to watch but i mean this harley was just for me i enjoy watching harley quinn and joker you know episodes or movies or whatever like it i find it enjoyable and you find it painful usually but i don't know it's you enjoy the story around the pain and I yeah. just enjoy Dep- it all. It really does depend. I don't know. It's just the whole time I'm like, bitch, I want to kill you. <laughs> I get where they're going. And I don't know if it's just because you're treating my boy John Doe like garbage or what, but you're irritating me. But I can't stop following this story, partially because I have to because that's how the story works. But also because it's interesting. It's your second job. <laughs> also, yes. But also it's interesting. So I, I had a weird conflict of interest there. But yeah, yep. It, jo, John Doe is trying to garner the affection of Harley Quinn. It's so backwards. I really like it. I do like that dynamic. It's it's so out of left field. Wouldn't have expected it. Like he drives her places. He buys her things. He is a simp. Hardcore. And then he turns into an incel by the end of the game. <laughs> I, I sound like I'm joking, but I'm actually not. Like he goes from simp to incel like real hardcore she rejects him on whatever grounds and he's like yeah okay women suck everybody else sucks everybody always treats me like garbage you know where that's going so i gotta there's one major branch of this game that i know of and you have either villain joker or vigilante joker whereas you can kind of take him under your wing as bruce wayne and batman in differing extents and then at some point um joker basically becomes a vigilante it's so weird that like is he, really weird it's so entertaining though like he whether depending on how much you um kind of coddled him as bruce wayne and how many times you interacted with him as batman in what ways like you can teach him to throw a batarang as batman or depending on what things you do um it can affect that choice and how he operates but he's obviously a very broken very psychotic man um but you have pity on him so you keep doing it and alfred's telling you the whole time like dude he needs help we need to send him back to arkham you can't keep doing this it's gonna bite you in the ass and then by the end of the the game joker is like all of you guys have just been lying to me and using me from the start i was trying to do something good even though i didn't understand what i was doing i was just being manipulated blah 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 so he goes on a like a, a full anarchist tirade against the all of the government agencies and Batman, but he still has a hardcore man crush on Batman. It's so weird. It's like as as Batman, you're defending the people you've been pursuing the whole game. I can't reveal exactly how the villains turn out, but you end up defending them because Joker is trying to murder people because he's like, no, justice needs to be done. And you're like, but we don't kill people, you dumbass. So That's you not how heroes uh... work. Vigilante Joker. That's just how it turned out. I didn't know that's where it was going, but it did. 
nice. so Joker has a kind of Joker at, at like a it's a purple and green outfit, but he puts his hair like kind of up in like devil horns. It's so <laughs> f- weird. And he uses Joker rings. It's it, it's weird, dude. Cool. But genuinely entertaining. And then by the time it's over, um, you go to Ace Chemicals. Some stuff happens. The last fight is going there. The last fight is brutal. Like he doesn't, depending on what you do, he doesn't fall in. He's already pale and green, whatever. But that's where that relationship really kicks off. They fight the whole time. It's like, yeah, I get what you're doing, but you're psychotic. And this is not what heroes are. That's not what I ever told you to do. You're just being a lunatic. You know, the world doesn't owe you anything, blah, blah, blah. So he beat like Joker murders some people. He goes full bad guy, murders people, tries to murder plenty of innocent people. Um, Batman saves them. It's Batman. Uh, there's a really big twist at the end, which I can't tell you about, but I really did like that twist. That was a good twist. Um, and then the game ends. But apparently the revival of Telltale Game Studios by the larger company that bought them, uh, the Batman rights are still included. So the Walking Dead franchise reverted to Skybound Entertainment um, and some other ones went to other places like Minecraft and whatever, but uh, Wolf Among Us and Batman are still held by that company. So theoretically, we could get a sequel eventually. It doesn't look like they're planning on releasing any more games. They just kind of are employing people to work on other stuff or whatever, like on a contract basis. I don't totally understand exactly how that happened, but... So there is hope, but nothing so. Yeah. Weird game. Bloody play it. It's just so f- weird. And the Batman armor is still sexy as hell. So rate out of five, the first one and the second one. Give us a comparison. See, that's the thing with numbers. There's no nuance. Um, I don't know. The first one probably be like a 7.5 maybe an 8 and this one's yeah so like I had said out of (laughs) 5 I can't do out of 5 man I can't even do out of 10 so I don't touch numbers 7.5 out of 10 for the first one and it's kind of the same for this one like the so it's there's no improvement really see that's the thing is out of general feels that's why I hate doing numbers because like technically it improved. The graphics got better. It's less buggy. There are more characters. There's more stuff being added. It handles it well. But on the downside, it's really weird. Like the first game was weird too. It had some weird twists and turns. But it's just it's just different. Like some stuff got better. Some stuff got worse. That's why I don't touch numbers because they're both 7.5s <laughs> out of 10. But for entirely different reasons. So it added a lot more stuff is it buried under all that stuff or does it handle all that stuff relatively well for the most part i'd say it's handled pretty well characters like like bane and mr freeze are kind of by the books to an extent color by numbers to an yeah to an extent um freaking bane holds like a like 800 pounds over your neck at one point that was pretty nice. funny picks up a barbell with like said like six or seven plates on each side just holds it over you like it's like a 10 pound dumbbell it was so funny cool he's a big boy 
So if we're talking video games, I'm going to go over one really quick. I've been playing Paper Mario and the Origami King. And I'm only including it in this because you kind of read it like a comic book. There's no voice acting. There's a lot of bubbles that you read. Um, My first entry in the Paper Mario series, which I'm a little ashamed to say. Which one is this? This is the latest one on the Switch. Gotcha. So everybody raves about the older ones and i guess the series has kind of dwindled as it's gone on that's Um, kind of what i've heard but i haven't touched them yeah um so i didn't really know what to expect besides paper mario i was hoping for like dimension bending puzzles but the battles kind of uh, the biggest point that i want to talk about is the battles um the they feel like the weird mario rpg that was made for the super nintendo Mm. um that i i played a bunch of on the snes re-release a couple years ago Um, i want to say it was made by bioware weird let me look it up really quick Oh yeah, something totally I can't really talk about. But oh my frick, you can, you have the choice in that game to leave to like leave Batman forever, what? or or Alfred leaves. It's so bad. Weird choice wasn't set up very well at all, in my opinion. I've never liked this series as Alfred, but it's like, and the last choice is like, so do you go be Batman again, or does Alfred leave, or do you leave being Batman and you give Alfred a hug? It's like the f- sort of bullshit is this <laughs> like you planted the seeds but it doesn't make any sense so i was wrong the the mario rpg on the snes was made by square enix there we go so i was gonna say it, bioware sounds very out of left yeah, field no i knew it was an rpg maker that's well known but i was wrong about who um so it's got interesting fundamentals but it's like you just spin the field in weird ways that has nothing to do with paper bending. Uh, it's just, it's like uh, four circles and they're bigger, bigger, bigger. And the bad guys line up. So you have an attack in a line or an attack in a square, a two by two square. So you're trying to make all the bad guys line up so that you attack them in a straight line or in the two by two square. That's and it's really like weird there's no back and forth yet it's just you attacking and if you get them all lined up then you win the battle every time without being hit like maybe i don't want to go too hard against this game because it's clearly made for kids and i'm a grown-ass adult <laughs> playing a video game made for kids so that could be it but it's also like a really long game, I guess. It takes 26 hours to beat, I saw online, and I'm only four hours in. So it could just be setting up the basics and it might get more difficult later. But they also bring back the timing of attacks from uh, the Super Mario RPG, where it's like when you're attacking, it's set up in the RPG. Um, like a Final Fantasy game, but with Mario characters, 
So it's turn-based battle. And what I thought was interesting in that one was that when you hit a certain button at the right time as the attack that you chose in all the menus, Final Fantasy style, then it would do more damage. Like that addition made it far more interesting rather than just being a regular play by the rules turn-based uh, battle. So they bring that, that back, but in this one, you don't have to time it right. You still beat the bad guys with, if you leave your remote on the couch and just choose the right attack. So I don't know. Weird. It has the basics. It's got the spirit. <laughs> but He's a little confused, but he's got the spirit. Exactly. So maybe it'll get harder later, but for now, it's... what turn-based combat game I miss? Lord of the Rings: The Third Age. Oh, remember that? Playing that on the GameCube. I do not actually. Oh, it was really good. Play I'll have it. to hunt that down because I actually won a GameCube in the contest this year. So. Oh. Spicy! Uh, yeah. You got yourself a lunchbox. Yeah, a purple lunchbox for my. Oh dang. Nice. Yeah, man. So, so is there anything else we have? Uh, housekeeping and socials. I and have no housekeeping. An ad lib joke, if I can come up with one fast enough. Dick. That's kind of funny because last time you said but. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, I don't have anything. So thanks to everybody for uh, listening. You can follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, you can also send us an email at dimecomicbros at gmail.com. Visit our website at dimecomicbros.podbean.com. Uh, you can also visit our Patreon where we have all sorts of fun goodies, including voting on topics, getting stickers, art commissions. Uh, you can visit us at patreon.com forward slash dimecomicbros. And on that note, the piece of housekeeping I nearly forgot my apologies Ooh. we have an official shout out to give That's so this correct this is now going to be right before we do socials from now on we have a shout out section so for our first ever patron um who is at the you're a dime level uh thank you uh business casual <laughs> we know who you are nice. irl so that's cool uh yeah thank you for your support Thank you um, very much. I was yeah. very excited. Uh, <laughs> it took me a few minutes uh, to find out what was going on because Spencer was simply shrieking in a high-pitched voice. Yeah, like not much. quite Nazgul, but definitely really close. three-year-old girl who just pissed her diaper, but <laughs> is so excited to see Santa Claus. Like that's what Spencer sounded like. And I was like, calm down what's going on nice and like it's five true. minutes later he was like we have a patreon and so true. we colin and i were able to join in on the screaming but yeah thank you very much for yeah. your donation we appreciate it greatly and i'm sure we'll be saying your name for many many moons to come i'm probably going to be the only one but that's okay it's a very classy name too business casual it is true Mm, it so fits is... in with the uh, the smoke lounge vibe. Just business casual, and uh, maybe a, a rye on the rocks. 
shall we tease next week? Yes, we shall tease next week. Uh, and also remind me of what I need to be studying for next week. <laughs> so next week, which is going to be episode 17. Holy crap. That's correct. We are going to be discussing Spider-Man Noir, the four <gasps> issue miniseries. All three of us will be present as well. Yes, because next week we will tie. No, no, we will not tie. We will duct tape Colin to his seat in front of the microphone and probably have like a selfie stick duct taped to his back. But at the end, instead of his phone, he'll have a picture of his girlfriend so he can like stare at her and feel like he's in her presence. But I like that idea. Really I should do isn't. that for myself. He's with us. So. He I should do that for myself. Out. I love how he's <laughs> like, oh, I don't need to talk about Spider-Man. It's fine. When in reality, like two years ago, Tops, he was like a Spider-Man cosplayer, had a massive spider boner all the time, loved Spider-Man. Ooh. And now he's like, eh, it's fine. So I find should, it very funny. We should definitely find a picture of him cosplaying as Spider-Man and definitely not the Spider-Man boner, but the cosplay and post that online as retribution for him skipping out this week. I'm 100% doing that. I know exactly where I can find it. Nice. Nice. And with that, we will see you all next week. So I also want to tease while he's not here. I got a new ginger beer. Oh, it's got blood orange in it. Interesting. Um, about to crack it open right now. Um, Hang on Michael... a second. Got a burrito? Want to try some of this ginger beer with gin? Ooh. You are an evil human. I know. Oh my gosh. <laughs> that's well, somebody's like, excited. That's like uh, like Christmas spices all mixed Ooh. up in one. Ooh. Mm. All right. I'm I'm mildly jealous. Sorry. That's a very nice background. That's also <laughs> a very nice background. I downloaded these back when COVID became a thing and uh, DC gave them out. I remember that. Oh, kind of. Why am I old and I forget words that I want? Like a freaking born. That's so political. That's so political. Um, I actually yeah. said that at work this week. Nice. And it was like out before I realized what I was saying. I was like, ah, oh, these guys aren't going to understand that. But I understand you. Um... <laughs> uh, I, I don't know. I guess I'll go out and say the communistic police force is definitely not communism at all, but uh, all right, authoritarian. So... All right. There we go. That's the very, very authoritarian. Authoritarian. <laughs> Communism is also a form of economic policy, good sir. Whoa, shit's getting deep.